Holy Spirit, we just ask again that you would come, that you'd uh, fill us, that you'd make our hearts and minds receptive to what you want to say to us. We ask that you'd give us the freedom to be able to let go of uh, things that we've believed that are not true about you, and that you give us the freedom to be able to grow, to become more like you. So, Holy Spirit, we just say, would you come with your life-giving power? Would you come and fill us now? And help us to be attentive to what you want to say. Christmas is quite a big deal, isn't it? I don't know what it's like in your household. But for most families in the UK, it's a time of gathering, a time of celebration, giving presents, eating way too much food, not to mention the amount of alcohol that many people consume. Uh, In the UK, most people take some holiday time. Sorry for those of you who are in the medical profession. We really appreciate the hard work that you put in while the rest of us are slacking. But I thought uh, I would just have a look and see uh, just a few things to do with Christmas. So this is according to Experian's website. In Tyne and Weir, if we could have that. Oh, we've got it up. In Tyne and Weir, the average person spends how much on mince pies over the Christmas period? What, What do you reckon? Sorry, how much? 40 pounds. 30p. (laughs) You like them that much, do you? (laughs) The answer is about 20 pounds per person on mince pies. That is in Tyne and Weir. They are the mince pie capital of the UK. Okay, the next question for you. The average person in Leicester spends how much on wine and spirits over the Christmas period? What do you think? Any, any guesses there? 100 pounds, 250 pounds, 35 pounds. That's still quite a lot of alcohol, isn't it? The answer is 65, over 65 pounds. And uh, the last question for you. In which city does the average person spend over 500 pounds on presents? And that is the highest. So that is the average per person Uh, for Christmas presents. Basildon. (laughs) It's an unlikely place. Edinburgh, Edinburgh, you're getting closer. The answer is actually Glasgow. Glasgow spend, people in Glasgow spend more on Christmas presents than anywhere else in the UK. And as you can imagine, Oxford doesn't doesn't appear on the top ten for any of those. We are, I don't know if we're stingy or sensible, you can make up your own mind. (laughs) Rent and mortgage, that's right, yeah. And on on, uh, petrol, getting around the city because the traffic's gridlocked half the time. In the Bible, there are four accounts of Jesus' life, which you're probably aware of, and two of them completely ignore the fact that Jesus was born, or the the story around it anyway. Um, Matthew covers the story of Jesus' birth in just eight verses. And then goes on to talk about the visit of the Magi, the wise men, that happened nearly two years later. It's only Luke who really spends any time covering the Christmas story, and he spends 51 verses. In the traditional church calendar, Easter, Ascension, and Pentecost are more significant than Christmas. So, in what way is 
the birth of Jesus significant apart from giving us an opportunity to have a good time? You know, what's all the fuss about? To understand, we need to go right back to the very beginning of the story. And even if you don't know much about Jesus, even if you haven't been around churches before, you will probably recognize this quote or something very similar. And we really are going back to the beginning. We're going back to the first book in the Bible, Genesis 1, verse 27. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And that gives us our first heading for this morning. You are in God's image. Our primary identity, the first thing that God put in place for us, is that we are created in God's image. Now, what on earth does that mean? Well, take a look at these photos that are coming up. Mandy and I were recently walking in Windsor Great Park, and at the end of Queen Anne's ride, there is a statue. And even from a distance, it was pretty obvious it was the Queen. Uh, it was her image. The statue wasn't her, but it was a very good likeness of who she is. And that's God's intention for us, that when people see us, that they would recognize God. Now, that doesn't mean that we are God any more than that statue is actually the queen. But God intended that we were created in his likeness, to be like him, to represent him, full of his love, his light, his purity, and all the other attributes of who God is. We are not God, and so we're not all-powerful, all-knowing, and present everywhere. Or what theologians call omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. In the book Living Like Jesus, which was written by a guy called Putty Putman. I guess if your surname is Putman, then you, know, you might have the nickname of Putty. But anyway, he really does use that. Anyway, he described it this way. We were created in God's image. That means we were created to be a recognition of God. The rest of creation was to look at humanity and see not the dust that we are made of, but who God is through us. And in effect to say, wow, is that really what God is like? The Bible tells us that when Jesus came as a human being here on earth, he put aside everything that made him God. For example, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, Christ was truly God, but he did not try to remain equal with God. Instead, he gave up everything and became a slave when he became like one of us. A truly complete and whole human being, and Jesus has been the only one, but when we are truly complete and whole, we're not God, but we are in God's image. Now, Jesus was truly God. He was just without some of the, hum the um, unhuman attributes, the things that make us different from God. And so he was fully human as well. Uh, but he was the, the God-man, fully God and fully human at the same time. And then we get a similar picture here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Now, we could just stop there, because that's probably enough for this morning, but I love the rest of the verses, so I'm, I've put them in as well. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything 
in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. And while Jesus was on earth, he let go of all of that power, and he became the visible image of the invisible God. And so when Mandy and I were walking in, in Windsor Great Park, we didn't see the queen. We saw a visible image that showed us what she's like. And Jesus does the same with God. He shows us what God intended us to be like as well. So that when people look at us, they say, is, that's what God is really like. And that's why Jesus was able to have this following conversation with Philip in, recorded in John chapter 14, verse 8. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus replied, have you been with me? Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus was able to say, I am in the image of God. There is no flaw in that image. And so when you see me, you see exactly what God is like. That's quite bold, isn't it? One of many incredibly bold claims that Jesus made. Either Jesus was right, or he was a bit crazy. But it's important for us also to remember that we are created in the image of God. To look like him, to think like him, to feel like him, to respond as he does. But here we also hit the problem, because our image is broken, unlike Jesus. We have carried a distorted picture of what God is like. And that leads us to the second heading, that Jesus restored the broken image. So once again, we need to go back to that original story at the, in the book of Genesis to tell us what happened at the beginning. Because the only reason that Jesus needed to come on earth as a human being was because of what happened there at the beginning. Adam and Eve were tempted, lied to, and their desires played upon. The temptation was to disobey God and eat the fruit that they'd been told not to eat. You know, the one thing you can't eat is the thing that they wanted to have. And uh, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, they were told, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now, the crazy and the frustrating thing about this story is that they were already like God. They were already created in God's image. There wasn't any more into God's image that they could have been. This was a complete deception that they were given. And the result of that deception and the disobedience that followed on from that was that Satan's lie became their truth, their reality. Adam and Eve followed the lead of Satan rather than the lead of God, with the result that the dominion and authority that God had given them was usurped by, man, by Satan. There was a fracture in the design that God had created, and the whole of creation became distorted, with mankind carrying a broken image 
rather than the full image of God. Putnam puts it this way. Now, rather than being fathered by God, they'd submitted themselves to the leadership of Satan. Along with that came the keys to the authority or dominion that God had given them. The dominion delegated to Adam and Eve was now handed over to Satan until such a time as it could be reclaimed. Some of you are more familiar with George Ladd's material that says the same thing. And the relationship with God also broke down, as well as the image breaking. Genesis 3, verse 8. Late in the afternoon, a breeze began to blow, and the man and the woman heard the Lord God walking in the garden. They were frightened and hid behind some trees. And the Lord called out to the man and asked, Where are you? As if he didn't know. The man answered, I was naked, and when I heard you walking through the garden, I was frightened and hid. Broken relationship. And instead, in comes fear. A fracturing of the relationship with God. And so that's why Jesus came. To restore things back to how he had originally intended them to be. But it also gives us an important clue, not just why Jesus came, but also how he came. Look at what Paul says in Romans 5, verse 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. The broken image that has been handed down to each one of us It's in there in our spiritual genetics so that even before we have committed a sin, we already carry the broken image of sin. And so that's why uh, babies, even babies in the womb, are already sinful, even if they haven't sinned. Everyone who's been born into the human race carries this broken image, except Jesus. In a different letter to the church in Corinth, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9, just as death came into the world through a man, Adam, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man, through Jesus. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. And so he spends some time here and in Romans talking about how these two lines are completely different. Paul is saying that there is a difference between Adam and Jesus, and this is an important aspect of the Christmas story that's often overlooked. When Mary became pregnant, God created a new humanity. The egg and the sperm that created Jesus didn't come from Mary. It came from the Holy Spirit who came upon her because Jesus was born from above. He was born spiritually. In other words, a new race was created, a new, a new line. And the result was that Jesus didn't carry the broken image that the rest of humanity carried. He didn't carry the same broken image that we have had. Death had no hold over Jesus because Neither had he sinned, nor had he carried the broken image of sin. Now, if you're like me and you like things simple, then this diagram may help you. We are all born into Adam's line. That represents mankind from the time of creation on the left there uh, through uh, 
the, the fall through to the second coming of Jesus, when Adam's line, the broken image, will end. Together with everything else that was broken at the fall, the death that was introduced at the fall will finally kill. The lower line represents the birth of Jesus at the first Christmas going through to eternity because death has no hold over Jesus. And that's why Christmas is so important. Jesus came as a new humanity without the brokenness of sin. And in everything that Jesus did, he showed that that was true. And he showed how to live as a perfect image of God. The reason that Easter is important is that Jesus became sin in our place. He took our broken image as well as paying the price for every sin that has ever been committed, literally going through hell in our place so that we don't have to. Instead of facing the consequence of our brokenness, we now face the consequence of Jesus' wholeness. The resurrection shows that Jesus rose from the dead as a human being with a physical body, and that is absolutely essential to our faith still in the image of God, and that death had no hold over him. And so, we're covering the whole Bible today. We've done Genesis 1. We're going through to Revelation now. Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. Jesus was able to say, I am the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. When Jesus died on the cross, he also defeated Satan's power he reclaimed the dominion and authority that mankind had lost, and therefore death has no eternal power over us any longer. And that leads us to our third heading, change your image. So I'm not talking about the January sales. I'm talking about the choice that each one of us has as a follower of Jesus. We can continue to live as if we had that broken image of Adam, or we can choose to live as if we have what we really have, which is the restored image through Jesus, the fresh, new, untainted image that Jesus has. The power of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus is that we transfer from death to life, from darkness to light, from Satan's dominion to God's dominion, and as a result, our broken image has been restored, has been renewed. There are only two ways to live. Adam's line or Jesus' line. We either live with the broken image or the restored image. And when we're born again, and the Bible says we are born from above, born spiritually, just as Jesus was, we take on his image, created and renewed to be like him. We become part of his family line instead of the old family line. The exciting thing about Christmas, even more so than the presents, is that Jesus came to restore the image of God in us, and because of the resurrection, we know that the job has been done. That means that our image has been changed and that the way that we see ourselves needs to be changed too. This isn't something that's going to happen at the second coming. This has already happened for every single one of us 
who has surrendered to Jesus. A good story is exciting, isn't it, because of a number of things, but that includes the building of tension and unexpected twists in the tale. Tension builds through the Bible as God prepares to release his master stroke, but then he does it with an unexpected twist. Satan expected, because of his pride and arrogance, that God would do what he would do. Come in glory and splendor, be born into a royal family, and so on. You know, power, glory, all the rest of it. And instead, God does what no one expected. He comes himself. He comes as just a few cells in a teenage girl's body, born illegitimately, born into poverty, killed as a common criminal. Amazing story. A wonderful twist in the tale. Back to the fact that our image needs to change. You may have previously, or maybe you still think of yourself as a mistake, as useless, sinful, broken, incapable, incompetent, unloved, unwanted, addicted, without what it takes, washed up, a has-been, unresourced, with no power, no future, no hope, and you can fill in any other blanks that you want to. But when we're born again into the perfect image of God through Jesus, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. And you can't pull the wool over his eyes because all of that old stuff has gone. It's not going to go. It has gone already. And that's why these verses are true. Romans 6 verse 4. We died... And were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, we now also may live new lives. So when something dies, it's gone. It's over. Paul says, our old way of living, our old image, the broken stuff, it's gone. It's not going to die. It's dead. Verse 6, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. We were set free from the old image. Psalm 103 verse 12. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Romans 12 verse 2. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Not by healing the brokenness that you carry, but by changing the way that you think. Because when what you think, what you believe, affects your behavior, it builds habits, and so on. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone. The new has come. And all of that is possible because of the incredible sacrifice that Jesus made at the first Christmas. God himself emptying himself, creating a new order so that we can be restored to the image that God intended for each one of us to have. The result of God's rescue plan 
is that each one of us can now live in the original image that God designed for us. We no longer live in fear, allowing rejection, pride, selfishness, or anything else from our broken former nature to rule us. Instead, we take every thought captive, we take captive all the lies of the enemy, and we embrace the truth of who God created us to be, created in his image to be like him, so that when people look at us, they see God. So that when we go into a pub, that the atmosphere changes. That's how it works. Mandy and I were at a, a drinks thing last night, and one of the ladies there, was she a psychologist or psychiatrist or a psychologist? And uh, she said that our, our brains are naturally wired to think five negative thoughts for every positive thought. And we need to take every thought captive. That's where the battle is. It's, the battle is now in the mind. Jesus has already set us free from all the other stuff. It's now a battle in our mind as to how do we live? What do we live out? How do we see ourselves? What is the truth that we live in? Because if we live in the, in the real truth rather than a lie, that's going to completely change the way that we live. Jesus restored our broken image on the cross, but it's now up to us whether we believe that and live according to it, or whether we allow Satan to deceive us as he deceived Adam and Eve. You are created in the image of God. Jesus has restored our broken image, so change the image of how you think about yourself. And that's why Christmas is important. And that's why it's important that we come back to the truth every day. If you can, read a bit from the Bible every day. That's why I regularly come back to uh, a little thing I've got on my phone uh, called self-talk, and it goes through the truth. I am created in the image of God. You know, I'm not, I'm not useless, I'm not rubbish, I'm not whatever other people may have said about me. Uh, I am competent, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 7, I think it is. Uh, God has made us competent as ministers of the gospel, so we know that that's true. Uh, we know that God loves us, that is our identity, that we are loved, that we are children of God, we're not rejected, we don't have to live in fear any longer. 1 John 3 verse 1, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. It's not what we're going to be in the future, it's what we are now. This broken image has changed, and so we keep coming back to the truth of what the Bible says. And so if you struggle with fear, you find a verse in the Bible that says to you that you don't need to fear any longer. If you struggle with your, uh, your identity, your... Um, in any way, then you come to a verse in the Bible that talks about who you are, your identity in Jesus. Uh, if you struggle with rejection, you go to a verse that tells you about how much God has accepted you and what he's done for you. And so we replace the lie that we've brought, been brought up with, with the truth that God gives us. And as we do that, we will start to live completely differently. Every now and then I, I go to a, a seminar or a talk or reading a book and 
you know, the question is, what would you do if there was no limit to your finances, to your time, to your circumstances, and your ability? What would you go for? And generally, when you work through an exercise like that, it's completely different to what we're currently doing. Now, the resources of heaven released to us because we are in the image of God does the same thing. It releases to us a new confidence, a new ability to be able to do things, and uh, we just have to relearn how to do that because we've been brought up believing that we don't have enough, that we can't do it. And so God is inviting us into a completely different way of living. And we'll, God willing, we'll look at some more of that next year. So let's stand together.